0: Welcome to the Business Theologist Podcast. We're here today for another episode. But before we get into that episode today, I want you to subscribe to the podcast. I want you to share um, with other people that you think this podcast could be of value to. And then last but not least, leave a comment. Now, Kurt, why are you asking me to do all this stuff? I'm asking you so that just like you found this podcast, others can find the podcast as well. So that's how you help us get in the algorithm and increase our visibility to others, like-minded folks, just like you, who may find this information helpful, insightful, and maybe just entertaining. So today, um, today is Monday, November 9th. I'm actually kind of recording this podcast late, y'all, to be quite honest. Um, We've had an interesting week of election progress last week <clears throat> Not going to get into a political conversation this morning Don't know what side of the spectrum you're on And that's fine um, So, you know, some of you guys may be happy today Some of you guys may not be so happy um, So, you know, as it may So maybe um, today I can just kind of give you a little bit of background And talk about my journey. And I think this is important today, and I didn't really go into great detail with this in our intro podcast, because as I kind of mentioned, you know, some weeks you'll hear from me, some weeks you'll hear from my guest. So this week, I kind of want to just provide a little extra clarity. And I think what I'm going to talk about today will provide a little more understanding of just kind of who I am as a person, um, It may be some commonality that we share. Um, and I just kind of want to use it to um, really, really f- help you help you guys to better understand who I am and, and kind of this journey and why this podcast. And I think in listening to some of this, it'll answer a lot of potential questions, some that may have arisen already, some that may be arising as I speak this morning. So. What you guys may or may not have known is that uh, I'm the son of a pastor. Yep, I'm what they call a PK. What is a PK? If you haven't kind of grown up in a church circle, the PK is what they call the preacher's kid or the pastor's kids. And we normally don't have the best of reputations, by the way. But be that as as it is, um, I am the son of a pastor. Uh, My pastor has, my pastor, my father has been pastoring um, for a long time. I mean, in some ways that's entrepreneurial in itself, Um, not to get into a whole religious conversation this morning, but pastoring, you have the um, outreach side, the Sunday morning service, and you also have the business side. You gotta make sure that you're taking care of the needs of the ministry. So you could say, that I was exposed to entrepreneurship at a very young or early age. Um, I didn't see my father work a traditional nine to five job, even though he did work. Now, early on in in life, um, my dad did have a traditional job until it got to a certain point where he felt he needed to spend more time doing the ministry. Um, So I saw his schedule change. I saw him having more flexibility. Didn't mean he didn't work because God knows he worked. But he had a lot more flexibility in life. And I think that planted some seeds in me um, that a nine to five wasn't just for everybody. So I remember seeing the dichotomy between someone who had to be to work every morning at nine o'clock and then someone who had a lot more flexibility in their schedule. So maybe some early seeds were planted there in terms of what I would later become. Who knows? But moving along. Um, so, you know, kind of moving forward, I, I had a very traditional life, just like many of you. You know, um, I, I came from a two-parent home, mom and dad. Um, mom uh, stopped working when I was around about nine, when my brother was, was born. And she really kept and took care of the home, just like what many of you guys may have had. Um, So in in that regard, probably not a whole lot of difference in your own personal life. Let's fast forward. I get an internship in high school for the Department of Energy. Um, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, or the Augusta metro area. Let's say it that way. And the big big employer in town at that time was uh, the Savannah River site. They called it SRS. I think it's now called Savannah River River Nuclear Solutions. Um, so I told my mom in high school, I wanted to be an engineer. There were no engineers in my family. I didn't even know an engineer. But we had an old set of cyclopedias. And at the time, they had electrical engineers and mechanical engineers in this encyclopedia. And there was like a little blurb on a computer engineer. And at this time, I didn't even know there was a difference between hardware and software. Completely clueless. I mean, we did have a computer in the home. Um, so I tell my mom this and my mom being, being a great mom, my mom goes and says, let me find out what we can do. So she goes to the high school and it just so happens, I'm a senior at the time that had just started a school to work program with Savannah River Site. So here it is, I'm a high school senior I have a full load, but I'm given this opportunity to go work at Savannah Riverside as an intern like two days a week. So in these two days a week, I would go down to Savannah Riverside and I would shadow um, a computer tech. And that's when I started learning the difference between hardware and software, although it wasn't still painstakingly obvious to me at that time, the difference. And I actually interned all the way through college. While I went to USC, I went to University of South Carolina. I am a Gamecock, because I told you guys last week. And when I was leaving, um, graduating from Carolina, Carol, University of South, well, excuse me. When I was graduating Carolina, the Savannah River site was on a hiring freeze. They were not hiring new people. So they had intern money, but they didn't have new hire money. So here it is. I got this brand new shiny degree. And i um, ready to use it. And um, I knew the starting salaries of the other engineers because I was working around them. But yet that possibility was not made available to me because of the hiring freeze. So I immediately went and got on the uh, job hunt, went back to University of South Carolina to a career fair. Long story short, the Sp- Space and Naval Warfare System Center in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I went and interviewed at their booth. Not That's not right. I went and talked to the recruiter at the booth and later I got a call from the recruiter. His name was Ron. Ron later called me and said, Hey, I know it's been a while. We met you at the booth. We're having group um, recruitment days. I was asked to come up. Um, It was last minute, but I made it up and I had two interviews and subsequently I was later employed by the Space and Naval Warfare System Center, now known as, NAV War. They were called Spay War the end, but now they're called NAV War. The, I think their their acronym now means the Naval Information Warfare System Center. They felt like the new name was more um, more telling of what their mission really was. And they felt that the new war was on information warfare. But I digress. So as I told you guys a couple weeks ago. I got bit by the by the business bug by based on what I saw. Um Space and Naval Warfare System Center, the one I worked at, um, was one of the sister agencies, but our headquarters was in California. So I spent a lot of a good bit of time in San Diego. And the War Enterprise and Spay War headquarters had a business office that coupled with the engineering function. And so some of my mentors at the time, mainly a gentleman named Mike, we called him Mike. He will always point out where, where where business was making impact, and how business was driving the engineering, and not the other way around. And he showed me some glaring differences between how we operated in Charleston, South Carolina, at the time, and how headquarters operated in San Diego. And he also gave me the history about how headquarters used to be in Washington, D.C. So I mean, had great men. Let me let me pause for a second. Anytime, and I know I have people listening to me from different countries and different, um, different uh, levels in their career. But anytime you want to get promoted or seek job mobility, you need um, sponsorship and you need mentorship. And they can or may not be the same person. A mentor may be, is a long-term investment. It's different between coaching. And there's a difference between mentorship. A coach comes in for typically shorter duration and helps you accomplish a particular task. A mentor, by definition, a mentor by definition is someone who normally gets in for the long haul. They're concerned about your overall success, not just a specific task. Now, the role between mentor and coach can kind of uh, ebb and flow. But typically, a mentor is a long-term strategic partner in your career success. So you need mentorship to help you kind of navigate where the landmines may be in the organization in which you may be serving today. And you also need sponsorship. Sponsorship is someone who's willing to put their neck out on the line for your advancement. This is typically someone in a higher position than where you are and they can vouch for you and they can put a word out in the wind for you so that you don't get potentially bypassed, but at least you're on someone's radar. This is the role of a sponsor, and we all need sponsors. A mentor may or may not be within your resident organization, but your sponsor is in the organization you're already in or in the organization in which you wanna be, but but I digress. So where was I? So he started, Michael started explaining to me this glaring differences between um, how the business was leading the engineering out on the West Coast and how on the East Coast, we were being reactive. Now this, this is not to be told as if what he said was fact, but this was the observation in which he, how he saw the world. And I tended in, in many ways to agree with him. So I had great mentors as I talked about last week. Mike also had a master's in engineering, and that may be what kind of pushed me to get a master's um, as well. Mine is not an engineer, well, it's in the engineering school, but my master's is in project management, as I discussed a couple of weeks ago. So some of this you've heard already, but I'm gonna get to the part that's different. So I move up the ranks. I eventually end up leaving federal service at a GS 14 equivalent um, in 2010. And this idea for a new business was kind of brewing on the inside of me, and when I turned my re- my letter of resignation in, my management chain literally thought I was crazy. <laughs> Here it is: um, I'm less than thirty, less than thirty. Was that thirty? Thirty-one. I was thirty-one at the time, and I'm already making six figures. Um, and I'm talking about going and doing something completely different, completely going against the status quo. And to say that my superiors thought it was a smart decision would be an understatement, I thought I was crazy, really. <laughs> and they asked me, you know, I had return rights, which basically means as a federal employee, because I was a federal employee, it basically means that, um, if you had. Please forgive me if I misspeak, but I want to say if you had been employed by the federal government for three years, it's either three or five, but I think it's three, three years you had return rights. So technically today, if I want to go back to federal service, I need a sponsor, but I could get back in, in theory. I don't ever plan to try it. Um, So I had return rights. So I leave federal service and um, my late spouse, late spouse now, but wife at the time, we started the firm in which I now support in the f- Frog family room over the garage in 2010. Now, this was not a a hasty decision. We had been doing some things in the background. I had been briefing. Uh, I had been briefing my command. Um, I worked for a Navy outpost. You guys know I was not in the military, but I supported the military. I supported the Navy specifically. Spaywar, the Space and Naval Warfare System Center, was considered um, part of the Navy. I talked about a couple of weeks ago how I worked for the Assistant Secretary of the Navy's Office for Research Development Acquisition, Chief Engineering's Office, the ASN RDA chain. I talked about that's all under the Navy umbrella. So we had put some things in place as much as we could while I was still a federal employee. I had to go and give these briefings to um, to, the, to the Office of Ethics and things like that. We had to fill out the OG 454, I believe is what it's called. And I had to be transparent about what I was doing. And, I, and we, we didn't do anything um, immoral, illegal, or unethical in this process. And I went through my briefing when I left federal service and was told what I could and could not do and told my statutes of limitations. And I abided by that. Matter of fact, we don't have any work today with Space and Naval Warfare System Center. So I've been more than above board um, in that regard. But I digress, 2011 was our first full year of operation. Um, You know, I got this brand new shiny MBA. Matter of fact, I was finishing my MBA when we were starting um, the company. I actually graduated in May of 2011. We actually started operations in January of 2011. Now my classes were done already, but I actually had to physically go through and walk. I had not walked, but classes were done before the company was started. And that year, business boomed for us. I think that year, if I'm not mistaken, we made somewhere around about $1.4 million. Here it is, a guy from Augusta, Georgia, son of a pastor. Um, not a whole bunch of quote-unquote real-world business experience, but we, we figured it out. Now, is that to mean that everything was a bed of roses. I came across challenges I had never seen before. You know, always trying to get funding and learning how to finance payroll was always uh, something I had to learn how to master. But, you know, I'm 31, 31 years old and I am now employing people who have whole families. So it's it's a lot of responsibility. I did not take it for granted. So long story short, business boom. 2011 was amazing. 2012 was amazing. I think we did. If I go back to those old numbers, like maybe 2.4, 2.2 million. 2013, another amazing year. Although we were going through some challenges um, on the government side in terms of some of the things that were happening in the political economy. um, You know, we kind of weathered a couple government shutdowns at this point already. Now, here it is. I'm three years in business and went through a couple (laughs) government shutdowns and We were impacted in different ways because of the type of work we were doing. Uh, From a federal perspective, a lot of our work was considered mission essential. So in some ways we were impacted on some contracts and some contractors we were unimpacted. But when those Edward Snowden revelations hit 2013, 2014 timeframe, oh my God, it's in a ripple effect through the organization. Not just us, but a lot of folks in that space. Uh, We were doing work for some of the intelligence communities And we really start seeing um, work coming to a halt. We start seeing contracts literally going away. And 2013 is where life started changing for me. So although in some regards, I'm making more money than I've ever made before in my life and starting to reap some of the fruits of all of the work, all the education, all the training. Remember, I've been doing government contracting since I was 17. Um, Now, not in the same capacity in which I was operating in 2013 and beyond or before or starting in 2011, but had been around this space for a long time. So at that point, um, you know, at say 30, 31, I had already been around the government space for 13 years. Either as a contractor or as a government employee um, in various capacities. So. I kinda had a little bit of a head start on a lot of folks. Um, but twenty thirteen my life started changing. I remember it very vividly. Um, my family had just come back from, from where we go, from France. My daughter did an immersion trip with her school. So here we are, we are over in France and we did seven days in France, touring all the area. My kids are going to an immersion program um in in France with their school. Um my daughter went to an all-girls school in Charleston, South Carolina, and my son was at a, a neighboring school not far away. And so they uh, extend the, opp- the opportunity for those interested, those young kids, to go to France. And I'm at the top of my game at this point. And I come back, you know, we get settled back in, business back as usual. And my wife discovers that she has a lump in her breasts, and initially, you know, we thought it was nothing. And this is not the first time that my my late wife well, late wife now, but wife at the time we had had challenges with um, with her with her health from a a from a cancer perspective. I, I don't even like that word, but from a cancer perspective, this is not the first interaction we've had. Matter of fact, this is the third interaction she's had at that time, and the second time for me, she had a first benign cancer operation at 16 years old it's completely um, benign um, but they did have to do a procedure and so we had another scare in 2011 and they told us hey we got it all and in 2013 we're here again and she has this look of like here we go again and me being the optimistic person that I try to be like well it's, it's, it's going to be okay well, long story short, test after test after test. They said, we don't see anything. She said, that's, that's not true because I'm seeing, um, I'm, having, I'm having discharge in my, in my breast. I mean, we're going to some of the best doctors in the area in which we lived at that time. Well, long story short, it was a very aggressive form of cancer and my spouse dies November, 2014. So in 2013, I'm at the top of my game. I'm taking trips (laughs) out the country, trying to show my family the better things of life. And in 2014, my life is
1: turned upside down.
0: So here I am, found myself a single man at 36 years of age with two young children still have all of this corporate responsibility
1: i can remember this very vividly and i'm saying to myself what the heck am i going to do
0: you know and in this process i remember being in the doctor's office we had to go in one day for a blood transfusion this was part of my wife's um, passing and i remember being in the hospital and i remember Had it felt like 10 doctors came in the office that day and they all asked the same question, Um, same series of questions. I'm answering the questions to the best of my ability. And every time a new doctor comes in and walks out, I start feeling guilty that what if I forgot something? What if I left out something critical that this doctor needs to know to give my wife the best care possible? And I start feeling this guilt. I hope I told him everything. Is that the decision maker? It was very traumatic. Um, we, got through the, we got through the situation. Um, and things progressively, my wife's health uh, deteriorated until she eventually passed away in November of 2014. And I think in some ways I knew, but being optimistic, being entrepreneurial, we always see the glasses half full I think in some ways I went through self-denial and went through maybe not embracing the truth of what was really happening, maybe the way I should have. I don't know if that was me being human or if I was being naive. But be it as it may, I went through a very depressive moment, 2014, 2015. 2016, 2017. You know, to say, you know, in business school, one of the things they never talk about is what happens when tragedy hits the business. You know, you hear a lot of our talking heads today, very successful people talking about, you know, working 10, 15 hour work days, but no one ever talks about when Unfortunate things hit the business Whether that's The business catches on fire Whether that's natural disaster Whether that's the loss of A critical component of the business These are things that we all face But they're not talked about Nowhere near enough I'm going to be quite honest with you guys I'm going to be super transparent To say I did not have suicidal thoughts Would be an understatement And going back to my Upbringing, if it was not for my relationship with God, y'all probably would not hear me on this podcast today. I went through some very depressing days, and then even the money that you have you've made the fruits of your labor day, it loses its value so i could to say I went through a more than a few years of kind of refocus and regrounding and Redefining my relationship with Christ was an understatement. I went through my own healing, self-purging process, and I had to really figure out how to reinvent me. I went through a lot of, um, made a lot of decisions to try to figure out how to reground and re-anchor myself after going through that. And, you know, anytime you try to come back for something so traumatic, it could really, it could really, really, really shake you to your core. But I can say this as confidently as I as you hear my voice today, if it was not from me going back to my first love, which was Christ, I don't think I'll be here. So I, I tell you this story because you may be in a similar situation or you may be headed for a storm. It's not a matter of if a storm hits your life. It's a matter of when. And it's not, it doesn't matter kind of what happens to you as much as how you respond to it. Trials, I don't mean to preach all, but trials and tribulations come to us all. But the question is, what are you going to do when they come? Are you going to weather the storm? Are you going to stand in resolve? Are you going to figure out what your real why is? I mean, that, those can't just be words that we say because they sound good. I literally had to go back and redefine what my why was. I really did. And, you know, it could've, I could have easily taken the easy way out, so to speak. But the thing that kept looming in my mind during that time was, I still have two children. They've already lost so much. How selfish could I be to take more from them? You know, the Marines, I think it's the Marines, have a saying. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But if that couldn't be, if that could not be more true, and in that moment, I thought about the pain that my wife was in, you know, and those when I started having to really come to grips to grap, come to grips with what had happened. And I had to say, I'm being selfish by wanting my wife to remain here. I saw the pain she was going through and it would be selfish of me to want to keep her here for my own selfish gain. And I honestly believe she's in a better place. Does it feel good? No. Do I, do, do I wish I could make some, do some things differently? Yeah, but I don't even know what that would be. Because I've done everything I could have possibly done. I spared no expense. So I had to finally look at myself in the mirror and say, Brother, you've done everything you could have done. You spared no expense. Would I have done it all over again? Yes. Because I was able to look at myself with a clear conscience in the mirror and said, brother, you did everything that you could have possibly have done. So I had to, once I came to grips with what had happened, I had to figure out how to move forward. And I would love to tell you it was this great, easy, life snapback process story, but that was not the case. There were many days, and even sometimes certain holidays come up, certain anniversaries or birthdays that I still might get sad. But, you know, it's not what's happened, but I really focus on the legacy that I'm trying to build for my family. That's what really drives me. And, and before, my legacy was really financial-based, and it's not anymore. It's more, and why this podcast came along, because it's, let me take those lessons that I learned in that grim process, and let me share them with the world. Now I can give you tons of, great business advice on, you know, how to financial operation, marketing, capture, business development, project management, program management, portfolio management, you know, accounting systems. I mean, we can talk about marketing outreach. We, I mean, we can run the gamut with that stuff, but sometimes it's the mental health. Sometimes how do you quiet the noise that you hear on the inside of you that tells you to quit when you know you should keep going? And that's the part we don't talk about And I tell y'all You know I'm unapologetic About the God that I serve I believe Jesus is the Christ I do not um, discount anyone else's religious beliefs Um, But for me I believe Jesus is the Christ He died on the cross for my sins More than 2,000 years ago And some of y'all hearing this This may sound crazy But for me I don't know if I would even still be here if it wasn't for that relationship that I developed and recultivated with him. I would love to tell you that I was able to wave this magic wand and everything just snapped back in place and that wouldn't be further from the truth. I had to literally fight my way back. And I can honestly sit here today and say that my finest hours are before me. It's a true statement. So I created this podcast to tell you to keep moving, to tell you to, to not quit, to tell you that you are not your past. And what's happened to you in the past does not define you. My job is to encourage you to tell you to get back in the fight. You know, um, when, I, when I hear about stories of the gentleman who invented four oh nine. But well, he invented four oh nine because he came up with four hundred and it was a four hundred and nine formula that actually worked. No matter what road you're traveling down success, I'm here to tell you to keep moving. We don't hear enough stories about people overcoming. And we all love a good success story I love the Rocky movie series I mean we already know how all the movies are going to end He's going to be down He may even lose the first fight He's going to come back And you know his wife Adrian's going to talk to him And encourage him and kind of get his mind back in the game He's going to train again And he's going to win We all love those stories But what's your Rocky story? When did they count you out? But you had the courage to get up And see the movies make it look so glamorous That it's just so easy to get back up And get in a fight And it's not so Sometimes it's easy But most times it's hard You know whether you love or hate Donald Trump He's our current president You know we'll see what happens in January But this man filed bankruptcy seven times You know success is not this linear path If you're looking at the stock market That goes in a positive direction but it's a series of dips and peaks and valleys. And sometimes we don't talk enough about the peaks and valleys. We just want to talk about the glamorization of success. And it's not true. So when I created this, when I created this podcast, and the reason why I called it the Business Theology, Business Theologist Podcast, is because it takes more than just business acumen to to, to reach and maintain success But it takes a theology of some sort Whether that's Christian theology Or um, a hard work theology um, Whether you've w- listened to the works of um, Max Weber You know, who actually talked about um, The theology of hard work It's going to take more than just Your strong business acumen When your mental health is being challenged The business Know-how doesn't solve those challenges. So in this podcast, I endeavor to be transparent, to be honest, to share the highs and the lows and not just paint this imperfect picture of success. Because success is not a series of perfection. Success is a story of David and Goliath. or whatever your favorite Bible story may be. When the odds are stacked against you, how do you get back in the fight? And sometimes the only way we can get back in the fight faith in the fight is through our faith. Now you may or may not be religious, but having faith is, is not defined to a religious affiliation. But you can still have faith nonetheless. So let me say this to all of my current as well as aspiring entrepreneurs. It will take faith for you to find true success. And it will also take faith for you to sustain success. You know, there's a scripture that comes to mind, and it says in this world we will have trials, and tribulations, and persecutions. But God says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And it was scriptures like that that helped me to get up to fight again. So if COVID has offset your family, I want to tell you just like I had to encourage myself. The Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So what I'm endeavoring you to do is find ways to Encourage yourself You may not believe like me and that's fine Keep listening anyway But as for me I had to dig deep To get myself back up And you may be digging deep You may have lost your job Or maybe you didn't get the promotion that you was looking for Or maybe the business didn't work the first time What I'm encouraging you to do is get back up Get back up Realize why did you start this career Or this endeavor the first time You know next week we're going to have a great conversation With a, a world renowned scholar Called Anti On anti-fragility And you know I put this Created this podcast episode in front of that one Because all I'm trying to tell you is We have to learn how to be anti-fragile In life In our family dealings our careers our businesses no matter what you know part of the spirit you're coming from i had to learn how to be anti-fragile i didn't have that nice big fancy word almost six years ago when my life got flipped upside down and i'm also say this to
1: you
0: in your deepest darkest hours pay attention For it's in those those moments we find out where our true friends and relationships lie. We find out who's really in our corner, who's simply giving us lip service. So when you find yourself in some dark days,
1: pay attention. See who's really got your back. See who's really in your corner.
0: Everyone wants to be your friend when everything is going well in your life. But who's around? Who stays committed when the chips are down? Optimistic that you'll get up and fight again. Who with you? So in that defining moment, or not, it just wasn't a moment, moments, I looked around and I saw who was really with me. You know, when the, when the, when the, when the phone stops ringing, when they're no longer screaming your name, When they're sitting on the sideline wondering if you're going to get back up and fight again.
1: Pay attention.
0: Realize who your strategic allies and partners really are. Or did did you have a whole lot of people just coming along for the ride? You know. These are things that you don't hear on business podcasts. Not many, not enough people talk about What happens when adversity hits their lives? And I remember one day calling a friend of mine and saying, when your business operation was going sideways, what what did you do?
1: You know what he told me? I don't want to talk about it. It's too painful. And I told him, as diplomatically as I could, I need you to talk about it. I need people like you who've been to the top
0: of the mountain to tell us how they got through. So what I endeavor to do on this podcast is to do that. So we're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about management. We're going to talk about scholarship. But you might get a mix of theology in every now and then. Because we all got to find something that helps us keep moving when we don't know how. Sometimes we don't know how to get back up. Sometimes the support system that you thought was gonna be there isn't. What do you do? Do you wallow in your tears and self-pity? And say the shoulda,
1: coulda, woulda? Do you get up? And I'm telling you, get back up. Get back up. A man who falls seven times We'll get back up on the eighth.
0: I don't know how you have a successful career and you don't believe in anything. When You come to the limits of your humanity.
1: Where does your help come from? Just something to think about. So what I'm telling you is I need you to learn cultivate anti-fragility well they say well what does it mean to be anti-fragile well anti means not fragile means to break easily I'm telling you to learn how to be unbreakable And I
0: suggest that that's more of a mindset than anything. You develop the mindset, you'll find ways to be robust. Now, not to take any credit, Anti-Fragile was a book written by um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, published in November 27th, 2012 by Random House.
1: So I didn't come up with that word.
0: But anti-fragility basically talks about when black swan events, uncommon events happen.
1: How do we keep moving? How do we keep moving?
0: How do we get better after the result of traumatic events, uncertainties, human error risk, Statistical improbabilities hitting your life.
1: How do you keep moving? And not only endure, but get better. So I have made it a quest to be
0: anti-fragile. So Wikipedia says, anti-fragility is a property of systems that increases in capacity, excuse me, in capability to thrive as a result of stressors, shocks, volatility, noise, mistakes, faults, attacks, or failures. It is a concept developed by Professor Nassim Nicholas Taleb in his book Antifragile and in Technical Papers.
1: Saying. Just something to think about. As
0: Talib explains in his book, anti-fragility is fundamentally different from the concept of resiliency. Resiliency is the ability to recover from failure. And robustness, that is the ability to resist failure. So resiliency talks about our ability to recover Robustness talks about our ability to resist failure. The concept has been applied in risk, analysis, physics, molecular biology, transportation planning, engineering, aerospace, and computer science. In short, anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same the anti-fragile, we get better.
1: So what I
0: attempted to do, and it's still a work, I'm still a work in progress. I attempted, this is not what I realized I was doing at the time, but in hindsight, I adapted anti-fragility to my life, to
1: get up, to be resilient, to be robust, but ultimately to be anti-fragile, to get better, redefine myself. Can I, can I correct the things that happen? God, no. But how I respond to the situation is the difference maker. So, as I leave you today, I am encouraging you to
0: get back up. Find out what, what didn't work. Figure out how to put together a root cause analysis for why did it fall or fail in the first place and what can we do to become 10 times better. Recognize it may not be a linear process. It's going to probably be a marathon and not a sprint. And that's Okay. The old adage, what doesn't kill you. I'm going to modify it. says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm going to say what doesn't kill you presents you with an opportunity
1: to be stronger. Well, guys,
0: I poured out my heart for the last 46 minutes. I hope that helped you. Next week, we'll get along back onto our regularly scheduled broadcast. With our guest who's going to talk about anti-fragility
1: But I'm encouraging you today
0: Make a decision To be anti-fragile You have to make this decision before you find yourself in a chaotic situation Regardless of what the situation is Tell yourself that no matter what happens I'm going to keep moving I'm going to keep pushing and I'm going to figure out how to thrive. All right, y'all. Until next time. Have a blessed week. Thank you for.